Welcome, welcome, welcome. All right, what's the topic for today? Come on, I need to hear you. What's the topic for today? Adulam. Let's open First Samuel 22. I want to breeze through today. Who did this? Who designed this? Firebrand. Look at what he put. It says spiritual advisory, explicit truth. <laughs> I don't like this guy, you know. <laughs> Firebrand, something's wrong with you. <laughs> it's only Firebrand that would do this, you know. Only Firebrand. First Samuel 22, please. I want to breeze through this. How many of you have paid attention to last week's part one? Yeah, please go back to listen to it. A lot of it is a continuation um, from everything. I'm hoping we will have time to pray. First Samuel 22, please. Is everyone in the room there? Perfect. All right. I'm just going to read a few verses and then we're going to get straight into the word. Amen? Amen. Actually, let's read. Let's read together. Is that okay? Yeah? Let's read together. Three, two, one, let's go. David, therefore, departed from there and did what? Uh-huh. Yeah. And everyone who was in distress, yeah. Okay, let's stop there. So it said, as you guys understood last week, uh, without repeating the context again, uh, but David at this point um, had conquered Goliath. Uh, The people were now celebrating him. They made a song about him that made the king, Saul, very jealous. Very, very jealous to the point where uh, there's, there's, there's dimensions of jealousy. I've understood this. There's type of jealousy that will make you just hate on someone from far. But there is another type of jealousy that will actually make you want to dead them. It's different. Some of us say we've seen jealousy, but we haven't seen this type of jealousy. How is the jealousy so high? If there were levels, it would be max. That you're jealous of the guy so much that you want to dead him. You don't even want him to breathe. Evil, isn't it? Evil. So the king is now looking for him. It's not just a mere peasant. This is the actual king. It's like the government looking for you, Esther. Mm -mm. It's like the government looking for you. Where are you going to run? Who are you going to call? Girls, busters. (laughs) So the king is now looking for him. And this man is now going through so many different things. And he goes and disappears into this cave called Adullam. And when he goes there with his family, minding his own business, 400 people decide to go in there with him. The thing is, these 400 men were not there to help him. They were actually there to be helped. Right? So last week, we spoke of Adullam as the place of emergence. Everyone say emergence. Emergence. A place where when life gives you reasons to give up and hide, a place where when you've been tormented in such a manner that you want to isolate yourself, a place where when the knowledge you have gained is now tested. 
that it's good to know scripture, but what's the issue of knowing scripture if you don't apply to it? It's good to know all manner of scripture. You can quote two, two million verses to me. But if you haven't submitted to it, it's all just air. And a doulum is the place where people are met with where you will have to be tested by the very knowledge you profess. So a doulum represents the place of testing. Is that Anu I see there? Hello? Amazing. If you guys have seen a mission house and you've seen that beautiful blue painting on the corner, that was actually Anu. Amen? Beautiful. So a doulum represents the place of testing, where people are brought to a place where even when it makes so much more sense to be selfish, even when it makes so much more sense to rest, they are provoked by responsibility. Provoked by responsibility. David in his anguish, Toby. David in his panic. David in that position of fear for his own life. In that cave was met. Let me describe these men as that. He was met with destiny helpers. <laughs> Let me tell you that oftentimes destiny helpers don't always come as a finished product. Sometimes destiny helpers are still in a process of their own lives. So don't disregard other people when they don't have it all together. Are you following me? Because sometimes those that you disregard were those who were actually sent to help you. Destiny helpers don't always come in their final form. <laughs> they don't always come packaged as the one who can help you in that moment. They may not always come as those who have all the right things to say. They may make all the mistakes. In fact, cross every line when you first meet them. Sometimes they may be the clueless people amongst you. They may be the people who are just taken, taken, taken from you. The ones that need help. The ones who sometimes come packaged as those who do not know much. What am I trying to say? David was met with men who the Bible described as in distress. These people were in lack. There were people who at the beginning of their journey, David had to give. He had to give. And when I'm talking about giving, I'm not talking about money. I'm not talking about finances. I'm talking David had to give up his own desires. He had to give up time. He had to give up the little strength, Raphael, the little hope he had to strengthen these people. But what's incredible is that in the eyes of David, his strength was little. But that same little strength was actually enough to look after 400 people. The Bible describes them as discontented. Which means that these people were not satisfied, Aaron, with their circumstances. How many of us have had to support or be there for someone who has not been satisfied with life? In fact, how many of us have actually been there in a space and where we've not been satisfied with life? It's draining, right? It's draining. It takes absolutely everything away from you. Now, you can imagine with the little strength that David had, remember, his life is on the line. 
to the point where it is not just his life, but when you read the verse three, it says that even his whole family had to move. So everyone that he loved and cared for had to move away from their comfort simply because a man was jealous. Now you can imagine the frustration that he could be going through at this point and in that point where he should be looking after himself, 400 people come and say, I need help too. Not just one, not 50, not 100, not 200, but 400. In one chapter alone, it grows from 400 to 600. And in that moment, he still needed to be present for others when in fact he needed strengthening himself. David understood something that not many people understand because I know if I was in that position, I'd be frustrated. I'll be angry, vexed, looking at them sideways. It's you, Lord. <laughs> Not even blaming my situations anymore. I'll be like, yeah. Because I'm sure he was fed up at times, Rhoda. He was fed up with all those emotions, though. It didn't stop him. It didn't matter. Because he has understood something, and he submitted to it. He lived by it. It's not, it's not cool when you just know it in your head that you're supposed to love people, but what do you do when the same people that you've been commanded to love are the ones that betray you? Does that then mean that that commandment now doesn't apply anymore? Because sometimes, I say this all the time, and this is probably one of the leadership pains, is that you love people when they behave. So your love for people is dependent on whether or not they play their position. If they step out of position, you fall out of love with them. So when people say, I love you, I'm like, you love me because I am doing what I'm supposed to do right now. What if I messed up? Will you still say that you love me? Because real love is not love when it's not tested. Are you following me? So if it's not tested, your love isn't verified. Are you listening to me? So for everything that he's going through in this moment, you can understand the array of things that's going on in his mind right now. Where he knows God has called him. One day he's looking after sheep. Now God is saying, look after 400 people. This is before he was even installed as king. And that 400, though it may have been much, it was just a snippet of the amount of people he was then going to look after. He was the, this was the test before the ultimate exaltation. Adulam. He understood that through the good and the bad, there was a principle and there was a mandate of priesthood. That as one who is called by God, the primary purpose of me primary purpose of men, the primary purpose of women, the primary purpose of you, Tophimi, is service and ministry unto God first. Unto God first. Then out of that service, he equips you to serve his people. He understood that that was a responsibility, Yosa. And sometimes the fruit of patience in journeying with people will reveal the true intent of their purpose in your life. 
So destiny helpers may not always come packaged as one. Dare I say, they may not even fit your standard. They may not even do things the way you do it. And that's okay. But giving up is easy. Giving up is very easy. But the strength to stand strong is only for a few people. There's only a few people who actually carry the strength to stay. It doesn't mean that people should continuously violate, 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 and you still stand there and you're just like me. I'm the punching bag. Punch me too. It is not, that's not what we're saying. But I'm saying that there is a depth to which your revelation must be tested. Giving up is easy. Because the same people who were once distressed and lacking became the very people who fortified the vision God had given David. Those same people that David could have dismissed became his mighty men. People who won wars on his behalf. Some wars he didn't even need to step there because they did it. They became David's destiny helpers. But when we read that, do they look like it? No. Because what we have to understand is that if David had moved away from this people, Priscilla, if he had chosen to focus on himself and separated himself from these people, because understandably, he had every right to say, I don't want none of this. I don't want none of this. I'm going through a lot myself. You have to understand that the moment he moves away from these people, he moves away from his purpose. The moment he disregards these people, he disregards his destiny. Because his purpose came packaged in responsibility. We don't like that word. His purpose was revealed to him in one of the most challenging periods of his life. It came packaged not in glitter. It came packaged in brokenness. It came packaged in moments where David had a reason to be selfish. <laughs> he could have easily said, but God, these people had put themselves in that position. They knew what they were doing. They knew that their stress didn't just come out of nowhere. They knew what they were doing. Why is it my responsibility to now step in when these people couldn't even step in for themselves? Why should I help them when they can't even help themselves? How is it fair towards me? Right, but why, why must I take on the burden of another person's mistakes? Why is it my responsibility? Why are you giving me these people when I need you? Why are you giving me responsibility when I need rest? These people are broken. These people are distressed. And I, I can imagine maybe these words are coming out of David's mouth, right? It may come out of our mouths if we're presented with the same position as David. Presented with a moment of responsibility and it's easy to drive away. It's easy to drive away responsibility in a bit to focus on yourself until you are one of those 400 people. Until you are one of those people that's distressed. 
then you're absolutely desperate for help and direction. It's one thing thinking about yourself in the position of David, Raymond, but it's another thing being in the position of these men. The Bible describes that we were once people who were in wretched positions. We, we weren't beautiful in the sight of God, though we were made in the image of him. Our, our actions had made us so disconnected with God. That everything of what our lives were, were nothing like what God pictured in our lives. I take time to reflect on this and take time to reflect on your own story. You know where you've come from. What's your story? We all smile in front of each other, but many of us don't know the real stories that people have had to go through. Some of us have had to crawl through dirt. Hmm? We've had to go through painful experiences. Some of us have been extremely hurt by the pain from others. But some of us have also been the source of pain for others. Sometimes in a room, we always talk about the experiences that we've gone through at the hands of other people. But not many times do we speak that somebody else is sitting there because of the experiences that we've done to them. Some people are in some people's testimony, you know. The, the person is saying, thank God I didn't. <laughs> no, it's, it's facts. We all know where we've come from. Some of us know that the decisions we made back then has caused people so much pain. We were, we don't like this word, therefore. We were wretched. We were sinful. Mm, don't say that anymore. We were sinful. My brother, if you don't know Jesus, my sister, if you don't know Jesus, you are wretched and you are sinful. That's what the Bible says. Your actions aren't good enough. It's not good enough. But it's only through relationship with Jesus. It's only by accepting him as Lord over your life. That sinful nature will be removed. Instantly. And the person who was once wretched and sinful is now seen as glorious and righteous. That's our story. I was not always righteous in the sight of God. I was once the one who was condemned. We, many of us, were the ones who were condemned. However, how many bad decisions, despite the decisions that you've made, the good news is that you don't have to bear the consequences of these actions anymore. But there's a person that we know called Jesus who took on every sin, every bad decision, every mistake, every error, every trauma, every confusion, every distress, every lack, every depression, every sorrow, every anger, every frustration, and nailed it to the cross. He took on that entire burden on himself like he was the one that done it. And then asked God, To forgive you and punish him. Mm. 
How many of us have had to take the rap for somebody else? You know sometimes when you take the rap, you look at them, you'd be like, <laughs> remember that. Five years later, remember what I did for you when I was nine? Instead of punishment, God gives you forgiveness. Instead of being met with anger, he smiles at you. Instead of being shouted at or thinking you're about to be punished, he rather sacrificed so you could be met with an outstretched arm and a father who's ready to hug you. This is not my parents, because my dad is here. But this is not my parents. But some parents have even hit their children when they've done wrong or made a mistake. But Jesus embraces us and tells us not to worry about it. Any punishment you had to receive, I took it. Irrespective of how many mistakes you make, irrespective of how many times you fall, irrespective of how many bad decisions you're making, how many desires you're making that desires to strip you away from my purpose, that desires to strip every dignity away from you, my Bible tells me that his love covers a multitude of sin. And we're in the season of Valentine. Yeah, we're in that Valentine season. Some of you people are going to be spending a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Toby, in it? Some of you are going to be, I know Pastor Jen's going to be spending a lot of money. We don't have to even debate that one. I was reflecting on the depth of love that was shown to us on the cross. I know we have to spiritualize it, but we have to, innit? It's cute sometimes, innit? But it's the ultimate love that he stepped in when he really didn't need to. He didn't need to. And the thing about Adulam is that David is a tiny picture of what Jesus was going to represent. One that forsakes their own desires in not my will, but your will. Not my will, but your will. And steps in regardless of their pain to be there for others. I say this to say that we are consistently in a cave. You don't ever escape a doolum. Are you listening? You are consistently in a cave of a doolum. Whereas ones who were sinful and should have been punished... We met Jesus. In 1 Samuel, they met David. And he completely restored us. He gave us identity. Brought back strength. Even in his moment of weakness in Gethsemane. So even in his posture of sacrifice, he died living out what he knew. No, listen to this. <laughs> He died living out what he knew. He died so that we may live again. I'm here to remind someone that your identity is not in your actions when you are one with God. Key word, when you are one with God. Let me say this again. Your actions don't reveal your identity when you are one with God. Pay attention to this. Your actions don't reveal your identity. It only gives you an indication of what you need to bring to Jesus. 
Listen to what I just said. The things that you find sinful or the actions that you find repeatedly hounding you are just there for you to take it to God. Not for you to worry or concern yourself about. It's what you need to consistently bring to him. And as you bring it to him, he takes away the weakness and imparts strength through his grace. There is something that is in the scripture that I really, really, I think I expanded on this about a year and a half ago. And, and I went back on it and I was, I was still perplexed. And it's really something that uh, uh, challenges me even till now. Let's open Luke 23, 34. It's a very popular sentence said by Jesus in a very pivotal moment of his life. Luke 23, 34. Luke 23, 34. The Bible says, And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I'm going to end here. Fernando, if you can help me. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. This statement still to this day is, is very interesting. It's very interesting because I studied a little bit of English, you know, in school, but the word connotations pops up. How, people, how many people would know what connotations are? Mm-hmm. You people are educated. Hallelujah. Now, the... This brought out connotations of, when it says that they know not what they do, it brings out the connotations of ignorance, of being uninformed, of being unaware, being oblivious. It brings out the connotations of complete ignorance. Pay attention. He says, Father, forgive them, meaning that what they're doing, they don't actually know. What they're doing is out of ignorance. If we knew what we were doing, we wouldn't do it. So we're acting out of ignorance. It's fascinating because even when we feel like we know what we're doing, in the sight of God, he treats it as you don't know what you're doing. Are you with me? Even though in the moment, You know what you're doing. You know the actions of what you are doing. In God's eyes, he treats it as you don't actually know what you're doing. The way Jesus sees sin is that when we do sin, it's done in ignorance. Because if we have really tasted of his goodness... If we have really, Pastor Peter, I honor you, sir. I honor you. If we have really tasted the goodness of God, nothing else will tempt you. No, pay attention. If we have really tasted of God, nothing will tempt you. This is the search and this is where we need to be. His perspective is why he's able to stand on behalf of the Father concerning you. Because if you truly know why, if you truly knew what you were doing, I guarantee you, you will not do it. 
If you knew the consequences of your actions, you won't do it. So he says, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. I tell you, the decisions that you think you know, you don't know it. You're living in complete ignorance. Let me show you an example of Jesus' view concerning sin. Let's go to John 4. Let's go to 7 to 14. And then we're going to end here. Are you ready to pray? Panim City, are you ready to pray? John 4, 7 to 14. Now, follow me. It marvels me the goodness of God. How can it be that when I think I know what I'm doing, when I'm intentional about what I'm doing, Jesus is looking at me saying, you don't know it. You don't know it yet. The Bible says in John 4, 7 to 14, it says that a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman from Samaria? Because Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Listen to this. Jesus said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us a well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and livestock. Jesus then said to her, everyone who drinks from this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give to him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Now, what Jesus Christ did, and I can expand on to this, but I want us to wrap up because I want us to pray. What Jesus Christ did in this instance was to correct her and pull her out of ignorance. In the same way in this instance, all he did was deal with the Samaritan woman's ignorance was simply by revealing truth to her. Not condemning her, but teaching her and pulling her out of ignorance and making her understand what she failed to understand before. And this is what Jesus does for us every day. That in receiving him in understanding the message of the cross we're brought out of the space of condemnation into a place of forgiveness pay attention to this I love this in 1 Corinthians because the Bible calls Jesus the wisdom of God last week we dealt with knowledge understanding and wisdom wisdom is the word Sophia so you people who are calling your daughters or you know a person called Sophia, that's where the name comes from. It means full of intelligence, having knowledge of diverse matters. And the Bible says get wisdom, but in all you're getting, get understanding. The Bible says that Christ is wisdom though. So it means that once you get Christ, come to a place of understanding of who he is. It's not enough to just have him. So get Christ and begin to know him intimately. Know him through relationship, not through other people's opinions. Let others help you in prioritizing your time with him. The word understanding is the word bina, and it means discernment. 
It means personified. It means that when something is personified, you have understood it. Are you listening to what I just said? The word understanding is the word bina, which literally means personified. That it's not enough to just have it here. When you personify what's in here, that's how you've got an understanding. The way you look, the way you know when someone has truly understood something is if I see the fruit of it in their lives. If I see them modeling what they have come to understand practically, it's not enough for you to just speak and know things. The way I know you have come to the realm of understanding is when I see it personified in your life. Are you listening to me? And Jesus says, Father, do not hold that sin against them because their actions are based on ignorance. This doesn't validate their actions, but rather reinforces the need for wisdom. The need for him. Are you getting what I'm saying? I don't know if I've lost people in this room. <laughs> oh dear. The revealed nature of God is that he has given you understanding that through the resurrection, you are always going to be forgiven. And through the same power that enabled Jesus to rise from the dead, that same spirit now lives on the inside of you and gives you power to raise others up from the dead. I'll let you sit on that. Let me explain it. When I say raising others up from the dead... No, because I don't know whether it didn't download. Eman, you caught it, innit? Did you catch it? No, you haven't caught it. Even Eman hasn't caught it. When I say raising others up from the dead, you know that when I'm in Christ, I'm alive. You know when you are out of Christ, you're dead. So because of the power of Christ that lives inside of me, which is the spirit of God, because I speak to people about Jesus, who reveals Jesus? The Holy Spirit. Because of the Spirit of God that lives inside of me, you, God forbid, if you are an unbeliever and I talk to Jesus about you, I talk to you about Jesus, it works either way, in it? Give me a high five. Hallelujah. Because I talk to you about Jesus, I pull you out of death into life. So the same Spirit that raised Jesus Christ up from the dead now gives you that mandate to be that are you following me this is the reason that we bow this is the reason why we yield this is the reason why we surrender this is the reason why we push in intensity lift up your voice and begin to pray in this moment